0: jumps for example in ballet would be like you know if you're jumping around or you're like leaping across the stage that's like a clearer more like primary colors like bold and you know blues and reds and stuff like that
1: hello and welcome to another episode of hearing in color with matt simon a very special guest today eloise who has quite a lot uh, about her would you like to introduce yourself
0: hi everyone and thank you for having me um i'm eloise and i am an author a teacher um i do a lot of work around existential therapy so finding meaning and purpose and i'm also really into well-being so like fitness dance um meditation mindfulness stuff like that
1: and uh yeah we're connected through uh, synesthesia facebook so what is your form or forms that you have
0: so my form and i'm not sure of the precise terminology for this but um My form is that I would associate a single tone with a color. So like tones on the piano, for example, from like C to C would be like every single tone is a different color. And those colors have stayed fairly consistent throughout my life. And it's something that really I notice when I am paying attention to it, rather than, you know, it doesn't bother me in any like practical way throughout the day. Um, It's not like intrusive or anything. Um, But it's something that I had always been aware of and. Growing up, my parents were musicians and then music teachers when I was a bit older. And um, I you know, was always aware of like, when I learned the piano as a child, like the tones would have a particular association and it would be such an instinctive association that it wasn't like, I had to think, oh, what color is that note? Um, but it would be like, it just felt like what those notes were. Like that felt like the reality of those notes was just a color. And yeah, so I've always been really interested in what that was. And I don't think I really knew what it was or if it was anything until um, a little bit later when I was studying music. I did music A-level, so when I was at college um, at Seekwil. And then I learned that like some other composers, I think, had had a similar thing. And I know there yeah. are different like scales, that different composers. I don't know the details, but like, was it like rimsky Korskov or someone? Was that right? Yeah, I think there's, there's like a lot, it. um, but it's... Yeah. Um
1: looking back on the historical stuff it's hard to sort of see or you can't interview them and they hinted at things um some have there's one i can't remember who it was who was apparently a fake who'd um associated colors kind of like around the circle of fifths and then used that but then he hadn't really got it but then right. it's so subjective you can't really say if someone has or not That's um, okay. and and other, yeah. did you say you've got perfect pitch
0: yeah so i can pitch an a <laughs> and i wonder whether that is like a little bit I don't know whether you can teach perfect pitch but obviously I like grew up being in loads of orchestras I heard an A a lot and then obviously I can pitch like around from an A I can pitch like other notes but I wouldn't be able to say if someone played uh, a chord I would have to work it out from A (laughs) if that makes sense I don't know if that counts as perfect pitch or not
1: possibly um, because often in an orchestra someone will be the tuning notes often the oboe and they'll play an A so then everyone tunes to that note so the orchestra might not be in tune mathematically but it's in tune with itself Right, so the A would have been a note that you would have heard a lot and that might have then yeah. just stuck in at some point.
0: Yeah, and um, the other thing to mention is my mum, her main instrument as a musician, as a professional musician was the oboe. So um, I heard A's a lot growing up. <laughs> so I think it might just be imprinted an A in my brain. And okay. I don't know, like, I know people's perfect pitches, are, you know, some people can just pitch a chord, for example, like I wouldn't be able to tell you, oh, that piece is exactly the chord of like, whatever. Um, but definitely I can still, like, the A is still in my, like, it feels like, um, and I don't know whether this is normally what people feel with perfect pitch, but it feels like the A is in a particular place in my throat, (laughs) so when I want to, like, pitch it, I go to, like, it's almost like, I don't know if this is the right way to describe it, like a shelf in my throat, and I go to, like, that shelf, and the A is just on that shelf. (laughs) that's a i don't think i've ever tried to describe it before but that's how it feels it feels like it's just like in a place in my body and i like the a just sits there and
1: then what, um, what color is yeah. it for you it's orange interesting like it's um statistically it could be like any color but so many people associate a with red and for me it's red really? um yeah for me, interesting you put it around the throat is it like around like the throat chakra or the, the larynx do you think that's maybe where it is
0: yeah maybe i think um it's quite like high in my throat and it just feels like, actually um, I've noticed, um, cause I was thinking about this recently, my perfect pitch has dropped a little bit over, like it's dropped by a very, very slight amount over the years. Cause now I don't really play music or like do any orchestras as well. So sometimes I know like if I pitch it, it's a little lower than it should be. Um, but I think my voice, my actual spoken voice has dropped as well. So it might be something to do with that. Like-
1: Ah, uh, that could be, there. yeah. Um... Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, like it feels, yeah, maybe around like the chakras. I don't know a huge amount about that but definitely the throat is like um because i'm a yoga teacher the throat is a place that you like can hold a lot of like personal emotion or like there's a lot of that throat opening stuff that goes on in that practice
1: yeah a lot of people are holding on to a lot of things and they're not expressing it so that can cause a blockage around the area you must mm-hmm. see that quite a lot
0: yeah for sure and i think it's also one of the things that physically like we just don't stretch our necks that much so like also physically there's a lot of tension just built up in like the throat unless you're a singer or like someone who's used to kind of yeah. like your voice like it's quite easy to get like a bit stuck around everything
1: maybe getting stuck in traffic like the jaw clenches and then that yeah you know tension just spreads out the body so
0: oh yeah
1: for sure so um what was your first instrument when you were performing then were your uh, so or you main one piano
0: other? was my first which I started playing when I was very young and then uh, so my dad taught me piano for quite a long time and then I moved on when I was a little bit more experienced I so moved on to other teachers and yeah and then um violin so I used to do a lot of chamber music <laughs> right. <lot> of quartets <laughs> and things and then once you play violin you sort of like try and pick up all the other string instruments as well so like bit of viola stuff like that um I never really moved on to like double bass or cello my brother was a double bass player is still a double bass player and um and then voice as well and a little bit of flute which i attempted for a while i didn't mind the flute i think you know when you're getting used to a new instrument it's a bit painful for the first for the first little bit i think i got to like grade three or something and then i was like this isn't my thing
1: it can be because um, you know the theory of the notes but you don't know the mechanics so it's
0: yeah it's like and trying I think, to
1: write again isn't it
0: exactly and like when you're a musician as well when you've got to a certain level on one instrument and you try to start again from the beginning on something else. It's really painful because you you are c- very conscious of how bad you are. <laughs> <laughs> like when you're just starting on yeah. your first year, you're like, I'm doing so well. But then when you try and move to something else, you're like, oh, no, I'm terrible.
1: So the the colours that you associate, is that an internal thing or external? Like, do you see what, it in your mind's eye or is it like floating around your head?
0: Um, I think it's like... It's kind of, like it's, it feels a little embodied like it feels like the color is just I guess this would be internal but it feels like it's just there like if you play the note it's like my landscape is that color if that makes sense but yeah. that really that kind of clarity really only happens when like you play a clean C or a D and then I'd be like this is this color um, and obviously like different octaves the higher you go and I think this is quite consistent um, the higher you go the lighter the colors are but the same colors but lighter and then the lower the lower the colors um, but the other thing I should mention and I don't really know too much about this I would have to ask my parents is um, when I was being taught music we didn't exclusively use this technique but I think I had some influence of color strings which I don't know if you know um, color strings is no. the teaching a method basically in color strings they split well it might have actually have been created by someone with synesthesia, but um, you split the piano into four colors. So like the bottom part I think is green and it's also associated with a character. So I think, I don't really remember, but I think the bottom part is like a bear (laughs) and then the middle, like the lower bottom part is blue and then orange and then yellow. And the top is like a little bird. And then, you know, you've got like, I think mom and dad (laughs) like in the middle or something like that. So I think, um, I don't know how much that influenced like the idea of a note being associated with a color because I know my brother um, also was taught that way, but I don't think he has synesthesia in the same way that I do. But So yeah, it's an interesting teaching technique because if you get people to associate, like this is the color green, these are the, you know, you get a slightly different musical experience.
1: Um Yeah, I'm slightly similar in the way that I um, nuance the sound because um, if I'm playing guitar solos on a distorted guitar, there's a lot of, um, sort of sound shaping that you can do with that. You can change the pickup selection. You can make it sound a bit smoother are a bit more rough and then sort of like carve out a bit more nuance on the note so when you're playing notes in different parts of the guitar for me it sounds a bit different. If you think of um like Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses that those first notes they're kind of like thick rounded for me that's kind of like a pale blue colour and then if there's a bit more edge and aggression on the note it sort of changes to more red so like when I'm playing I'm thinking about sort of changing that so I sort of see the notes around but then I'm also like actively changing the the hue of that as well
0: so would you say that the piece as as a whole like doesn't have a a color palette or like a set of colors it just changes like throughout it's quite it does
1: it's kind of it's very kind of it's consistent in each element but then some might take form more because it sounds a bit inconsistent because like right it's b minor right so this is kind of green Mm -hmm. but then um i'll use certain notes depending on like music theory knowledge and what works but then um some people talk about um almost like a heat map like on the guitar so like the lower notes have this kind of like sound but like the piano you know you've got like the bear on the bottom Mm -hmm. but then as you move up it kind of has different color and texture sort of intuitively so if you want to have a certain uh sound you play the notes maybe on different parts of the guitar as well i guess like a string instrument because if you play near the but it's probably not called the nut on a violin but like right down to the where you're pressing it Uh, right yeah, yeah so the strings are going to be um, a little bit looser there and as you move up it's tighter and sort of proportionally thicker so it's got slightly different uh, timbre of the note so you can play the same note in different places and it'll sound slightly different so you've got that mm-hmm. element to choose from as well
0: that's interesting and I think I don't know does this because um, I actually saw in the group the Facebook group that we're in the other day that someone was talking about physical sensation associated with a color as well and I don't know if you find this but like on the violin obviously the string changes like consistency as you move up and down like or if you compare like a violin string to a cello string for example like for me the cello notes even though I wouldn't I don't have a set color that I associate like a cello with for example but that color that range of colors is always more like a deeper more like burgundy kind of like soft like mellow color and part of that I think is like the strings are really thick and like they're a bit Softer than like a thin violin string, but I don't know whether that does that make a difference for you at all? Like I
1: think so, yeah. And also because again, I'm trying to see like what is sort of like natural and what's influenced by environment right. and cultural things and like just the physicality of it. Because a cello is like a big wooden, like dark, almost burgundy color anyway. So right. you'd associate that a bit more maybe. Or people, oh, it's a kind of woody color. Like on oh, a yeah, trumpet, it's yeah, more yeah. brassy. But like you've got eyes and you're seeing that the trumpet is yellow. Some people might say, like, oh, I heard it on the recording and it was this green thing. But um, it's interesting how much might be influenced by just the physical nature of it. Like Some yeah. guitar sounds, like electric guitar sounds, and I'll see them as a bit like cables because they are cables and wires. And then on a bass guitar, it's got thick strings. So that has more of that nature around it to say like an acoustic guitar string or a classical guitar string, which is plastic. So yeah. it's... I think we have just got to be honest and think, well, I might just be thinking like, well, that's a grey colour because the string is physically grey, mm. you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so hard to distinguish like what, and I guess it might be a mix of things as well. Like, you know, you're brought up in a particular way, you're educated musically in a particular way. Like you're you're going to have some influence, I guess, of you're never going to find someone who's that completely, well, maybe you will, but like it would be quite rare to find someone who's like completely devoid of any like musical education who like knows exactly or like, who's had no outside interference in their, like, in their perception of it, if that makes sense. Who's never yeah. seen an instrument, for example, and then knows like what colour it is.
1: And I think there's more colour differences on guitar because it's my first instrument, so I know a lot more about it and know how to play it. So um, I might listen to a drummer and have like less understanding of what they're doing. And so I will only assign a certain colour palette to it and say, well, that's that kind of thing. Right. If I knew more about it, then I might be able to pull more colours out of it.
0: Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. So I think sometimes, like, um, like for me, a genre of music, I could say, like, classical music, for example, has, like, a bit clearer colours, like, a bit cleaner colours than, like, uh, romantic music, like Tchaikovsky, for example, which is all, like, tones and, like, stuff going in. Like, but I think, again, like, that comes into just knowing music. And, like, if you know the genre that you're talking about, then you might be able to, it's not necessarily natural, but it's more, like, just learned or common sense i guess that that's like very that.
1: interesting i mean yeah sometimes i associate <clears throat> like the blues as blue <laughs> jazz is yeah. a bit more green no. but then interesting to talk about the harmony because like the classical periods um the harmony is a bit more um not basic but um mm. everything was much more proper like you get yeah. the dominant chord to the root chord and everything's like properly done and mozart and Brahms well, a little bit before but you know properly structured and then yeah with the romantic they try to like smear it a bit more and get a bit more um so I'd associate that with a bit more pastel colours. Um
0: Oh really if, romantic.
1: Well yes. just uh when you're getting towards a more sort of like jazzier harmony and a bit more or less defined, um that's, that's sort of that perfect thing, it's yeah. It's a bit smoother, the transitions and then when we'll listen to some jazz and some sort of advanced harmony stuff. Yeah. um where the harmony is less clearly defined, it's a bit more pastel colours and things a bit more smoothed out rather than
0: that's interesting. Because for me, like Mozart, for example, I used to play a lot of Mozart on the piano. And like you said, it's that like, really clean. Like you just have your left hand working in a chord like uh, progression and your right hand doing like the melody. Like that's it. And I used to do a piece that was um theme and variations it was like a theme and then like 32 variations of like the same thing basically with like the same chord progression and like for me that that piece playing that piece was always pastel was like always light pinks lilacs like really soft orange but like clean colors and right. then if you played like a Tchaikovsky or like some kind of romantic piece it would be like all murky and like you said like everything blending and it reminds me um and I don't know if this uh really links at all but like the art of the period that you're working in like the art of that time is all a bit like dark and like tones and you know if you go to the National Gallery and you look at pe- like pieces of art there it's some a lot of it's like quite dark and murky that's how like romantic music sounds in my head we're just like very like uh dull sort of not dull but like yeah like dark or
1: yeah um, I think interesting it's interesting to re- uh really remember the context of when art was created like um Picasso's Guernica you know it's about the civil war so there's like mm-hmm. horrific stuff going on at the time and if you hear a uh, piece of music or look at some art in isolation you think well oh, that's this but then um as well as in getting older look deeper into music and if someone says oh here's a piece from like Mozart or whatever like okay well it is but like what was happening in his life at the time mm-hmm. and it, what was he doing and like, oh well this is when like he was really sick or this so like now that makes sense or right. unrequited love so like you can get a bit more into it
0: yeah I love that yeah that's interesting I think maybe we don't know as much about like composers lives as we do like for example a writer we would be like oh they're going through this so that's why this book's you know has this undertone or whatever
1: i think that's maybe just more the, the emotional element because obviously mozart wrote some stuff like crazy young <laughs> like, yeah. stuff before he was in double digit ages but then <gasps> um it was just you know like accomplished musically but the, you know the emotional element it just isn't there then some of the stuff that he's writing towards the end of his life and when he's when he's sick and like lacrimosa like the last bit just finishing mm-hmm. those eight bars you just think you know like writing something that you know you're not going to finish that's 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 heavy but it's um yeah that's interesting but yeah that's i think cool. it's because i write a lot of music as well um that i'd like to really look deep into that and so yeah not only like this technical structure of it or here's a b minor chord here's all these arrangements but like what was going on with this and mm. like the energy involved in that
0: yeah, so do you think about the colors? Like if you're writing something, you would think, oh, I want to, like what comes first, the color or the, like, melody, or like, does it just come at the same time? It's just a natural.
1: Interesting, some, um, I usually write guitar, so some keys are more um, conducive to that because I use open strings, like E major, A and D, quite easy to use, but then some of the darker ones, just because it's physically easy to play on those and get access to certain fingerings and notes. Yeah. But uh, sometimes, yeah, I might think, right, this is kind of like a dark gray theme, like okay, D minor. <laughs> yeah. Um, or like a midnight c where well, that's like g minor because that's like really dark blue sometimes i'll do that and then work backwards or sometimes i'll just be writing some music and then like the colors will come out I'm like oh this is an e major but i've used the f chord so that gives a bit of brown to it and then it sort of like steers me into some other direction but then it's not exclusive like i can't it's not like all oh, right is this is an f it's got to be brown but that's yeah yeah Again, if the F is like a dominant or um, a significant part of the music, then that might dominate that color. Yeah. But then I could shift the key and then it's still kind of the same piece of music, but you can't say, oh, it's an F sharp minor now. or well, it's black. Like, well, like, yeah. it's my perception of it rather than something else. But I do see a lot of colors and um, if things don't change enough, like if the text is the same or the instrumentation or the, the chords don't change enough, I just see it as all, it's the same colors. And I get quite mm. bored in that.
0: Mm. yeah and um, I don't know if you've asked have you asked any other people who have synesthesia to interpret your music and see if it's the same color
1: yeah just literally before this uh oh, really? um, yeah as uh, an artist who draws things very similar to how I see them so oh right yeah, yeah. um I asked to draw one of my songs and then um she's like oh this is your voice and there's loads of BVs on this and there's about 20 vocal tracks <laughs> lots of vocals yeah. So oh, this is how I see the guitar solo. Um, but yeah, Stevie Wonder song, she was just drew it, and I was like, that's almost exactly how I see that. Right, right. Like the guitar parts like these little clunky bits falling around the sides, and this is a bit in the middle. Yeah. But then I could ask a hundred people, and only one of them would have a similar perception. So it's possibly yeah. more coincidence, but interesting because it is so similar on that level. Yeah,
0: that's interesting. Yeah, I'm always um, like interested when someone comes out as like a musician who's around at the moment like a mainstream musician who says that they you know report having synesthesia or something but i don't know too many current people i know like pharrell pharrell williams apparently (laughs) has it that's the only one
1: yeah i looked at on wikipedia you can see quite a long list and there's like apparently beyonce um lady gaga says like poker face is amber to her and for me it's teal because g-sharp minor but um Huh. Again, I'm looking at, it. does it help or does it like make you a better musician? Um, I think maybe for me, because I get quite bored listening to things that are um, sort of continuous, so I like to change things up. Mm-hmm. But then there's lots of excellent musicians who don't have it and um, lots of very poor musicians who do. And mm-hmm. I won't name names, but I was watching a <laughs> TED talk and a guy who was demonstrating himself on a keyboard. He's saying, yeah, I've got synesthesia and here's how I write the music and I like these colours and notes, so I use them a lot but the music was just boring (laughs) I think he kind of like hemmed himself in a bit because these are my favourite colours and then um, he'd taken commissions from other people to write music and he'd used the same sort of things people said your stuff's a bit samey whereas for me um, the more I've learned about music and harmony it's almost like different colours so uh, basic harmony. With sort of like certain colors, and then with the, the more jazzy stuff, a bit more pastel. And then when things get a bit more weird and advanced, it's like more colors that I wasn't aware of. Mm. So, uh, we had some really cool uh, jazz lessons at college, it was a music college, and the teacher was like, an amazing guy. And he said, like, Oh, here's some other stuff you can do, and like scales and things we'd never heard of. So, am like, Oh, it's like a new color. Mm. I still can't use that because it's like super advanced, but just oh, mean
0: like... a, new, a new color like that you just never.
1: Well, just like a new text, or so like just using notes over certain chords with a different angle, and so you can take this concept and then move it a bit and a bit and a bit, and so once it's a bit further out to space, it sounds a bit more spacey, like this. Right. Um, yeah, I point-
0: think that, yeah, jazz is probably one of the most like for me. It seems like one of the most colourful or like one of the most exploratory. All of the improvisation elements and you know the way you can play around with the with the idea like in jazz um my dad is a, really a jazz musician at heart I think and like that's always just fascinated me because I am someone who likes the kind of structure and the rules of like music um so I like Mozart and classical stuff and playing that and um I remember it when I was studying music at college um just at um Sik-Bomb. we did all these like Bach chorale things and they have like rules to them so you have yeah. you, you have to make them in a set way it's almost like a, a bit mathematical in a sense it's like here's your set of rules and like see what you can create around this structure and they all sound kind of like quite similar but you know that's a very, very different type of music to a jazz improvisation for example
1: I think that was just the the end goal of it wasn't it it's was just to create this sort of beautiful structure yeah um that's with all the parts and fugues and things like lots of moving parts but then they fit together really well
0: yeah they do sound quite good to be honest (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was amazing they've got a nice like resolution it always goes through a like moment of you know like dissolution and then into your resolution it's quite like satisfying
1: i kind of perceive that it's kind of it's more like sort of crystalline structure there's lots of things that are stacked Mm -hmm. up and moving together um then you can have obviously big sort of arrangements with those but then jazz groups generally quite small in terms of personnel so you know, you have that sort of bass colour, they'll use the the chords as that sort of canvas and then sort of jump off and explore with that. It's very much that improvisational thing. Obviously classical musicians used to do that a lot, and it's been lost as an art. But yeah, I see it as like just um, trying to get new colours, new ideas out and sort of thing, seeing how things work. And So I reference, again, it's a bit inconsistent, um, like some chords as colours, but then some harmonies as colours as well so like some could be like a slightly spanish dusty dusky kind of thing but then a say like a minor six chord could be like a kind of soft jazzy thing so it's um it's got that colour but also like the text like it's soft like it's almost like a pillow
0: great right.
1: but then those notes could then be played aggressively depending on how you do it but it's um you still got those sort of like options of ways to use it so it's like different colours different shades of the colours and then how hard you want to play them as well so yeah I reference it all as different like it's just a big palette it's Like I want to do this today I want to use that so when people say like oh I don't want to learn music theory or I don't want to learn that because it will stifle my creativity like <laughs> you need to learn more it's like being a writer and say I'm only going to use a thousand words and that's it
0: yeah yeah that's amazing so with the uh, texture element is that something that just you always know like what the texture is or you like there are set textures that you either look for or you try and create
1: uh, I mean, if you write in the same uh lineup, like um lots of rock and heavy metal stuff, a lot of our stuff I write is geared towards that, you know, it's like guitars, bass, drums, sometimes a keyboard, so that can be very limiting in a way sometimes, um, but then within that I've got the different sounds of the guitars and I'll sort of structure the notes, um, like in space, like I have this guitar part come along like this and this one's like over here doing that thing, so it's, I'm sort of thinking spatially as well as harmonically for that.
0: Cool. And has that been something that you've always, always had since?
1: Yeah, it's just the way I um, think of things. Um, people do use uh, very similar terms like with harmonies that are stacked. Are oh, these like stacked harmonies and you think, oh, good, say like a vocals, like there's just a chord, you know, like three notes. And you, you do kind of think, well, there's that note there, that's a G and then a C and an E, like it's literally stacked. Yeah. But then I sort of perceive that like I'll see like Lego blocks um, or like they're moving along for a long note. They'll be like drawn out.
0: Yeah. but for
1: you when you're uh say playing piano or playing a piece that you know well um are you seeing colors and things or structures um are you seeing like the do you see the motion of the notes or, or if there's arpeggios do you like see things like going up and down like what do you what goes through your head when you're playing something
0: yeah arpeggios um they're actually interesting because that's a really clear like that really would connect to my sense of like a clear tone like one tone at a time scales as well i used to find playing scales like four octave scales so therapeutic just for my brain because it's like a really clear run of notes and you can just get color after color like stack 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 like you said with the lego blocks kind of idea um when i'm playing a piece like unless there's a really like an ending note for example like in um in a romantic piece you might end with like a huge chord that's like spread over octaves something like that that probably that final chord might have a colour to it. Um, but like when I'm moving through music that's quite textured and different, like I tend not to like I wouldn't be seeing individual colours every single note I play um, unless I really tried to focus on it. Like that wouldn't necessarily come to mind. But the piece itself would probably have like a general sense of yeah. like, you know, like I was saying with the different genres of music or whatever. Um, and then the other time that I sometimes feel it now is like I I do like ballet and things like dancing. And um, a lot of that, especially stuff where you're warming up as a ballet dancer, you spend a lot of time at the bar just doing like exercises. And I guess it's quite quite, um, similar to like doing scales and arpeggios. It's kind of just like warming up your body before you do like the main choreography or whatever. And like the music for those exercises, the bar warm up, is always quite like precise, consistent. It's always in a very like steady pattern. Like it will be a set like pieces that you've probably heard before. And those pieces always have like quite a physical Like I always feel a color when I'm doing that kind of movement just because it's quite repetitive. It's stuff that my body already knows how to do. So that was why I was interested in that person who said like associating physical sensation with color, because it's not something I really remember having as a kid, but now, now that I play less music and I do more like dancing to music, for example, I definitely have a clearer sense of like how that is coming through. Also the felt sensation of a color being really warm or a color being like a little tighter or harder like to manifest or pain you know pain i think most people would say is like a sharper color and then there are different types of pain there's like a muscle ache or there's like a tendon pain or whatever and like for me all of those would you know have a different sort of color palette associated with them
1: but so when you're moving are you aware of like colors around you or say like some of your warm-up routines do you associate a color with that um or when you're doing it do you like feel the color around you or you see it or how does that work
0: yeah, so like different movements, I think. And and again, I don't know how much of this is like influenced by the discipline itself, because ballet is a discipline, I think most people would say it has a color palette associated with it, which is quite like neutral, quite light colors, kind of like your pinks and the traditional like uh, outfit that ballerinas would wear is like very pale pink, pale pink ballet shoes, for example, like um, white and things like that. But then if you think about like some of the movements that you do, um, with you know, you can do like sort of slower movements where you're moving the leg out, like in a real like uh, a fondue kind of motion, which is the term they use, which is like a. Is that the word? <laughs> yeah, fondue. <laughs> yeah, and like a melting motion. So you're like okay. extending the leg really slowly, um, and that like for me, and I'm sure for most people, maybe for you as well, like has a warmer sensation than kind of like the traditional, bas- uh, like pastel ballet colors. And then again, you can do like jumps, for example, in ballet would be like, you know, if you're jumping around or you're like leaping across the stage, that's like a clearer, more like primary colours, like bolds and, you know, blues and reds and stuff like that. So I think it kind of depends. It's like music. It depends like really what you're doing. But yeah, I think they would all have um, colours associated.
1: Those colours, are they consistent every time? So if you're doing a certain movement at a certain point in the show or performance um at some point of the stage in the same way every time is it the same color for you or is it depending on the emotional or how that's feeling
0: yeah it's a um similar color range probably so if you're doing like plies for example which are normally one of the first things that you warm up for me there's always like light blues and light oranges and then as you get more intense like into the harder exercises again it kind of depends what it feels like in your body because Um, it's not just the exercise, but you also have the physical sensation. So if you're feeling like a muscle ache, normally for me, if like, I associate a muscle ache with a color, it's like the darker kind of colors that like, you know, like darker red or like darker purple, something like that. But like a sharp pain, if you like, um, you know, when you go up onto like a point shoe where you're on the very tip of your toe, (laughs) like whenever I feel that sensation, that for me is like a bright color, like an orange or a red or a blue, like a bright, a really like sharp color. But then I don't know like how obvious that stuff is. I think most people, if they were pushed to say, what is the color of a sharp pain? If I like jabbed you with a pin, you'd probably be like, oh, that's a really sharp, like red or an orange or something. I don't know. Can
1: you use these colors or is it just purely incidental? Like you do a movement and then it's this color or is it just like an interesting thing?
0: Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing, but I think it's similar to, you know, if you were a musician, if you were a choreographer and you had synesthesia, which I'm sure many many choreographers do, um you can make a piece that felt like very blue or felt like very orange red, okay right but it wouldn't necessarily like manifest into like an, an amazing piece of dance it would just depend like you know what your skills were but um, there are like there are obviously pieces of choreography that use particular um, color schemes like I don't know if you've ever seen the film Black Swan which is about like a I think so, yeah like the light and dark elements of ballet so you could have like a really dark sort of idea of like a pain and like sort of mania or like going really deep into the like technicalities of the dance and then like a really light color which is like innocence and like elegance and stuff like that so I think you can play around with those ideas I'm not sure whether it would necessarily make you a better choreographer or dancer but
1: I think it's maybe a way you just like reference all these elements and say well these kind of clump them together and these kind of like similar kind of vibe or movement style so yeah if, oh we want a piece to be blue like well i feel these are more associated with that so i'd use these But like so i say so, yeah these chords are certain blue or these kind of would go together in this kind of vibe so if i want that kind of thing i'm going to draw those in and use from that pot
0: yeah yeah definitely um or like if you wanted for example an emotion change in the middle of a piece if you wanted to go from like light to dark or like intense to softer like then I guess you could draw on okay I think these colors like will influence the way that you know you're going to get people to move or yeah then I guess it's personal to every dancer as well like you know how you interpret the piece how it actually feels in your body again because it's such a personal physical experience that you're having one dancer who might find like it really easy probably feels a bit lighter like their color palette might be all like light pinks than purples or whatever and then some dancer who's like really suffering who has an injury who's like whose back is hurting whatever like they might have a completely different sensation of what that color is
1: so do you associate sort of slower warmer movements with more pastel colors and then quicker movements a bit more brighter and more defined
0: yeah exactly like the the more like mellow movements where for example like where you're rotating your leg in a circle like you take it out to the front then you sweep it around the floor like your toe stays on the ground you just draw a big circle with your foot that's a very like slow like um mellow movement and for me that would be like a warmer color like a like a warm orange or like a warm red or something and then where you go up on onto point or you're doing a jump or what else where you're doing like where you're rising up onto your toes that would be more like a bright like a lighter like a clearer flash of color that
1: makes sense Because some colours could be quite similar like uh, an orange or red could be like quite a central colour or then maybe like a slightly darker version that could be like very angry.
0: Definitely and I think um, yeah for me like the blues and the purples don't come into it too much it tends to be like I'm either thinking like the pastels like the pinks the like lighter maybe going towards like even white at the at the end of the range and then down into like oranges and reds and stuff but.
1: Would you perceive other performers? on their sort of general um, sort of skill level and style in certain colours. So someone's maybe like um, a bit older, uh, they don't move in the same way as someone who's younger. Would your yeah, sort of perception of them be like slightly differently colors Because they'd have like different vocabulary mm-hmm. to work from because they might not do some of the same movements. Or maybe like yeah. different styles of dancing, like, some, like an older couple ballroom dancing compared to say like street dancing at a very sort of aggressive young level.
0: Yeah. Definitely, when you compare those two things, I think you know if I was watching it um and again, I don't know how much of that would be instinctive. I think I'd probably have to think about it a bit more if it was someone else because a lot of the experience that I have with the color when I'm moving is like what it actually feels like in my body, so then I like know more but yeah i I mean, I guess like if you compare, for example, even if you look at just one art form, so say like ballet, if you compare a really young dancer who's just starting out who like doesn't really have the technique but they're like going really hard into the discipline with a dancer at the end of their professional career, for example, who they, they normally say like ballerinas or ballet dancers who are like at the end of their career have so much more experience with the actual music, the physicality, the emotion, the understanding, like we were saying with the art and writing or whatever, like the understanding of what was going on behind the choreographers like journey into that piece. You have a real depth of um, experience in the art form. I guess you could say those colours might be like deeper or a little bit more like refined, less like the obvious primary colours and more like subtle, nuanced colours. But yeah.
1: That's a nuanced rather than maybe focused. Just a bit yeah. more interest in there.
0: Yeah. What do have you ever like, what do you do you have any physical?
1: I don't um because I just think would I associate like musicians with that kind of thing, but more mm-hmm. to their style or the kind of music they play? And mm-hmm. unless they're extremely uh what's eclectic um people generally play kind of similar things um but then i guess because i'm so focused on music i'd look into what they were doing rather than the certain colors but then um yeah some people you'd associate like oh this guy's like a country guitarist and he has that kind of sound and style a lot so that's that kind of perception and color of that but that's probably because if i don't know them enough about them because if i knew more then my view of them would be more nuanced and say well they do this and this and this
0: yeah yeah and then I guess when you start talking about other people when it gets beyond your own experience it's like you also have your visual perception of who that person is so like you know some artists put themselves out there as like
1: yeah or if he's got a pink, pink beard the... you know yeah
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: so uh, you've studied tarot as well mm. um how did that come about
0: yeah so um I actually had someone read my cards like a long time ago in a non-predictive way and that was the first experience I'd had with tarot which is like instead of using it to predict someone's fortune like oh next week you're gonna win the lottery or whatever um instead of that it was just like an exploration of like goals and ambitions so it'd be like um in tarot you can do like a 12 card or like however many yeah. cards spread so you like pick out your cards and then you spread them out and then the way that they're set out tells like a narrative so you start at the first one and you work all the way to the last one and then for me like the the teacher i had right at the beginning was um, very focused on just using it to set like um goals or ambitions or talk through like what you wanted to achieve in the next six months so the idea is like you have a reading quite regularly like every few months or something and you just come back to like how things have been how things are going whatever and that really interested me because I think, you know, as I was coming into um, more interest in existential therapy and like meaning and purpose and things like that, I was looking for tools that would be quite interesting visual ways of working with those ideas. Because I think people can get a bit bored by the idea of like journaling about your feelings, but <laughs> like uh, yeah. the time today and like, oh, or talking to a therapist can seem like a bit intimidating. I think cards are interesting because they actually offer you an extremely visual trigger to think about something so it might be like okay what do you want to achieve in the next like six months and then let's pull three cards and this one is like I don't know the hermit and this one is like the queen of whatever and like then you kind of go through like what the cards mean what they're traditionally symbolized as and some questions that might come up about the cards. so say if you pulled the hermit it might be like okay so where in your life do you feel like you've been closing yourself off? From the world and where in your life do you feel like you want to step back in or maybe it's the trigger to step back from the world or like what do you think this card means to you that kind of thing and um, uh, so that's the way I was trained like in a non-predictive just interpretation focused way um, uh, did
1: you use the ride waite deck or were you drawn to other ones
0: um I think it's just yeah I'm not actually not sure what the deck is called but it's the traditional the standard, like, one, standard yeah. one yeah
1: Because there's so much detail in the pictures in there that you can, someone can catch your eye and like, oh, that's what that means.
0: Yeah, I think there was a time when I was doing um, card pools every morning as like a little intention setting exercise. That was quite a fun thing to do because it's like, you know, you might not, everyone says, you know, you need to like have a morning routine and like do this and that. But like, it's nice to just not necessarily be in your own head so much, but actually have, have something to look at that's like outside of yourself, like, here's a card and this is what it normally means like what does it mean to you and i think if you hold the cards with a certain lightness like that if you think these are just archetypal ideas that imageries like it's imagery it's symbolism it might tell you something about yourself but that information normally comes from you like you probably already know like what that is you just need to articulate it and sometimes the cards can really help to bring some light into that situation
1: yeah we will just give a bit more information on what's currently happening yeah or, yeah like joy's focus to some that actually need to be Looking at this more, or you know, you should be doing this, but you're not Come exactly.
0: On. Exactly. Um, but have you have you had a read? You have readings and stuff, or
1: uh, I mean, I studied it for a little bit, not formally, but um, like read some books, did some courses online, and um, yeah, the standard ones are interesting because they've got so much detail, like I said. So you might pull a card out and then be drawn to it. oh, there's like a flower on the side of the throne that's just yeah. caught my eye. Um, there's some I've got some dragon cards, which are quite cool. <laughs> um yeah there are lots some of people think like oh it's got different energy to it it's got some fairy ones but then something like it's just less detail on it so maybe or if that's what you want you know like, oh they're bringing a different energy through like are they <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe it's just like well that's the symbol you know so then what does that mean to you
0: yeah yeah I just think they're such an interesting like it just brings out so many interesting things that like you said you probably already know like what it is that you need to do or like what you need to focus on but and I think it's a nice thing to do with other people as well. If you can like pull a card for someone else and then you can look up symbolism and talk about it with them. Like you don't need to be too like technical. You can sort of just, you know, have an use it as a self exploration tool or with a friend or whatever.
1: What's um, uh, you might've had this experience as well. Like if you have drawn some cards and then like shuffled them again and then drawn them out again and like similar ones come up, you're like what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. Statistically that's unlikely. And then I've done it where like three times, like almost the same ones came up like, in a row
0: yeah i love that um i remember when i was when i was doing the uh teacher training that i did um they have you pull a card at the beginning to like symbolize you know start of your training or whatever i kept pulling the same card like throughout the which was the world which is quite a nice like beautiful card actually which is symbolizing like you know
1: completion things going well yeah
0: Yeah, which is a nice card to have. Then sometimes you pull like a a card that's a little bit intimidating, like death or whatever, like with all the swords and just like, oh no. But, you know, I think that's the, um, that's the interesting thing about the deck is like, it's not all good or all bad. It's not even good or bad really. It's just life, you know, or like it's just the intricacies of the journey or the experience of being human. And I think to be able to pull a, a really heavy hand and just to be like, okay, this is interesting as well. I think that even that is like an interesting skill to have to be able to look at even the light and the dark and see, like, this is all just part of it as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, the death card is generally, because um, people go, oh, it's really scary, someone's going to die, mm-hmm. but it's generally change, you know, like the death yeah. sort of a situation. But then yeah. if you had like death and another like, tower with like mm-hmm. things crumbling, the devil, like if something, if you someone drew those cards for you, you probably knew that things were pretty bad at the moment and like you need to move on from this or. Yeah it doesn't yeah. like that's what's being shown but like you know that things are not good so what are you are going to do is change it
0: yeah yeah exactly and like I don't think any of it's like like you said it's not necessarily telling you like oh something bad is coming your way and like watch out it's more just like okay what is ready to change like what is ready to move on that can be it can be a bit confronting when you're faced with something like that Because it's like it's almost as if you sat down with someone and they said like, okay, how are things really going? And you're like, oh no, like you know when someone like, but how's it
1: really going? Like,
0: yeah, Yeah. everyone just crumbles. But like that in itself is like valuable because you know you need whether it's a person, your partner, or your friend, or a card, like you know, to face up to the questions or the realities of things. It's always helpful, I think.
1: Yeah, it can be a warning as well. Like if you're looking at how's this future business going to do and then like big deal and then you turn over a car and it's being stabbed in the back like oh, no.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: but yeah I mean it's interesting um but yeah like I said I think it could be like things that you already know um or just saying well actually you might have been a bit suspicious about this person like look into it a bit more
0: yeah or like you know sometimes it's an indication of what's going on within you so like where in your life are you about to like betray someone else like without maybe even realizing it or like maybe you need to take a closer look at you know yourself in relation to other people i think you can always like look at it from different angles that's the fun thing about the cards that you don't really have like a set it's not like this means this it's kind of like it means whatever it is relevant to your life that you believe it to mean
1: And I think um, as well like um different types of readings as well like the most mm. useful thing you can get out from it it's not like oh here's what's going to happen in the future but like look if you keep doing what you're doing now this is the most likely outcome. So yeah. if that's not what you want. You need to change it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And my favorite readings when I have someone else read for me is like when someone pulls a card, says like it's basic interpretation and then says, like, well, where does that apply? Like, what are you thinking? Like, well, what does that bring to mind? Because then it's like a dialogue with the cards and you, and it's not just like you're being given a prophecy, but you actually get to shape and determine your future, which is really, you know, the heart of these kind of personal tools it's like they give you an opportunity to decide you know what what do you want to do with this outcome or this circumstance
1: okay yeah good and link to that so on your website you mentioned um you've done some monastic mm. activities do you want to tell us <laughs> a bit about that
0: yeah so i um trained in a monastic community for a year and this is like new What well, what they call new monasticism or like new expressions of monasticism which isn't a particular tradition so not like franciscan or benedictine or something but drawing on elements of those western monasticism um, traditions so this was what they call an integrated program which means that you do it alongside your daily life and you do one evening a week in study or prayer or teaching with the community and then maybe like weekends as well some weekends and then a couple of longer retreats throughout the years um, throughout the year and so yeah it was a really really interesting experience like the monasticism for me is fascinating because it's a real practical application of spirituality like the most practical you can get yeah. it's really just about like how are you going to live what decisions are you going to make every day what is your life going to look like and for me i like to go quite deep into things when i find like an interest in them so for me it was like how deep can you go into spirituality well here's one example like give up your entire life and like make a vow to the community and that sort of thing And obviously I like I didn't commit my uh, entire life to a monastery yet, although that may still happen one day. Um, but like it's really interesting to me to explore those kind of more immersive types of spirituality. Yeah.
1: Okay, so this may be like an question you weren't expecting, but if you're like where are you going in life? Because if you look at so you've studied music, some dance, some spirituality, um, can you see yet? And if you can't, that's fine, obviously not, not judging, like where maybe things are going so just uh, for me because i've studied music a lot and then mm. looking at spirituality and then the synesthesia and like energy through like some martial arts and sort of healing and stuff like that so i'm trying to sort of blend all those and see mm. like where they're connected and if there's a universal thread in that Yeah. Um, what can you see in your own life because you've clearly done lots of different things and have different interests and things you've excelled at so where do you think maybe things are pointing towards
0: Yeah I love that and I think like blend is exactly the right the word that I would use as well and for a while I was quite stressed about like my life seemed very scattered and I was like what am I doing like there's this and there's this and I like this and do this or whatever and like it frustrated me that I couldn't really just decide there was going to be one thing that I was like this is going to be my thing and I'm just going to be really good at this thing and you know I'll become an expert or I'll be the best in my field at this thing. And I think when you go broad or when you go blended, you sort of sacrifice that element of like, you're probably never gonna be the best at like one particular thing that you're doing because you're doing a hundred things at once. And that for me was quite difficult because I always felt like I was failing a bit at everything. I was just doing everything like to a mediocre level when I could have actually done one thing really well. Um, So there's that, but I think um, for me, like the most interesting experience of careers or life or whatever so far, has been trying to like integrate various things and I think if there is one consistent thread it's probably like range or scope like trying to do a lot of different things and see where the similarities are between those things so obviously I love writing I write books Um, I love speaking like I do speaking stuff like working with young people a lot Um, I care a lot about like social impact social mobility about you know like making an impact to society Um, and then like you know I have my personal interest in like dance and music and stuff as well and I think it's probably not headed to any one particular point if that makes sense but more just like an integration of all of these things and a really like rounded kind of accumulation of interests and passions.
1: Do you get bored or is it just you want to do lots of different things because again like you said like you can go really far down one path and you think it's like diminishing law of returns right I've done really well at that. But I'd like to do quite a lot of this as well and then you think, yeah I've got that and it's not master of all trades um no, jack of all trades yeah, yeah master of all trades would be nice um yeah. but you think like I've got so much out of this now and I could go but then I could get quite a lot out of this and then this as well
0: yeah I think a little bit of that and then just real curiosity about like sometimes they go really deep into a field and, and then it opens up another field and you're like oh my god that was how I um sort of came across tarot for example is like I was into existential therapy, like into psychotherapy, into like union ideas of analysis and archetypes and stuff, and then discovered like tarot and then trained in that. And so I think when you go really deep into something, then it just opens up loads of other things. And you're like, oh now I feel compelled to explore all of these things. And there isn't really enough lifetime to explore everything. But definitely the things that I find really interesting, I always want to go as far into them as I is still like fascinating to me and that's like spirituality for example or existentialism those things you could just study for a lifetime and you've never even like touched the surface of what's really going on but um yeah I don't know if that answers the question
1: (laughs) that's a good answer I mean yeah like I said I think the blend is a good one because if you Mm -hmm. study different interests and think well okay well I also know this how can I combine this to um not necessarily like innovate but just like bring something different So I like to do things and just be really different. It's like, well, I've got this and that. Does this work together? And can it improve either of them as well?
0: Exactly. I think that's the real value that you can add when you're doing, when you're sort of taking that higher level approach to multiple things. It's like, then you can offer, oh, does this approach apply to this field? And, you know, you need people who are going to be specialists, obviously, in their field. And you need people who are going to dedicate their whole career to, like, one thing that they find really fascinating. Like, you know, it always amazes me that people do a PhD and, like, studying one type of fish or something (laughs) like really something really specific that is so interesting to their career path and you absolutely like that is such a valuable contribution to the field and like absolutely essential and then I think it's also helpful to have people who are sort of like exploring a little bit of this a little bit of this getting trained up in a variety of things and then maybe able to contribute something that kind of draws on different approaches
1: yeah I think that's uh, a good point because you could contribute by going like super expert level like you said like that specific one type of fish like you're an expert and you discovered something new about that yeah but then if you knew about some other field and you could combine that say, well actually this you can contribute that way so i think yeah for me um like i think i'm like a good guitar player and like a good musician but then also um i can add something new by blending other things into that yeah and people have gone so far down the path as yeah i'm not going to innovate in that way but then if I put this in that's maybe what I'm supposed to be doing yeah I think you can feel where you're supposed to be going because if a person does want to like just shoot down that narrow path they're going to do really well and get down that yeah and find that nugget (laughs) at the end that no one else got as far to get
0: yeah yeah and it's always so inspirational when you see those people and they just know what they're doing because I work a lot with um the idea of purpose like helping other people to find their purpose and occasionally I just come across someone who's always known they've always just been like yeah this is like I don't even need to think about this because I just know right from the beginning what it is but I do think that's like that's not everyone's experience obviously and I think that's probably more rare than the majority of people who are just kind of like I'm not really sure I'm going to try this and I'll try this and then I'll find something that works eventually yeah
1: I mean even for people who have that laser focus they might change 10 years down the line they might Mm. have got so far down like well now I'm interested in this as well Exactly. Yeah, it's been times where I've been like, right, this is it, nothing else. And then yeah. things do open up. Yeah. Uh, life changes as well, or you thought you weren't yeah. as successful as you thought you'd be, but you know.
0: Yeah. That's life.
1: <laughs> that is life. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, have you got any closing words or anything you'd like to add? Any links you'd like to share? So we'll put them in the description.
0: Oh yeah no just to say um, thank you so much for having me and like it's been so interesting to talk I was uh, like a big fan of your podcast now and I will be listening to all future episodes Um, but it's so fascinating to me this idea about synesthesia and like how it manifests differently for different people and yeah it's just something that I've always like had in the background but never really like fully really explored or talked about or like found a real community around so yeah I'm just really excited to sort of be in the group and thank you so much for having me and letting me that's
1: about it. As always, thanks for listening and you can find us on Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. Yeah, pleasure. It's um, you know, like I said, it's interesting seeing people who've got um sort of really crazy forms. I like to interview yeah. some people who like who can taste words and um. Wow. There's one guy on Instagram. I Hope I can get hold of him. He associates taste with shape, which is.
0: <laughs> wow. Really. Wow. Wild. I didn't even know. I can't even like conceptualize how that would work.
1: He was um, he was doing a review of some Jack Daniels, and he said it was like very square or. Like, oh. <laughs>
0: that's amazing well um yeah let's um try and let's form an instagram campaign and get him on to talk about it
1: because some things seem like and this is no disrespect to anyone like some forms seem like a little bit novelty in mm. a sense again like oh you've got color things like i have like oh yeah wednesday's this color like
0: right,
1: right. doesn't really yeah. do anything it's like a kind of quirk but then if there is some kind of like universal things that keep cropping up like maybe yeah. it does mean something
0: yeah definitely and i think um Yeah, the more you can sort of see like similarities between different types or like you can maybe see where it came like the origins of different people's development of it and then yeah the more you can learn about it i think the better i think it's probably an understudied field although i know there are some lots of universities doing stuff on it
1: i think it's yeah just like looking at all these different bits and saying well that's that's nice but not really useful or that's that like does this blend in one um Common um consensus like colors for emotions, people seem to say like you know like this one is black, this is green, envy is green, um mm-hmm. these kind of things like people are so consistent across that, like maybe does that mean like auras and like energy mm. on that kind of level, so I think I guess yeah, just like trying to cross reference everything, saying, what are the consistencies? Let's look at that one then if everyone kind of agrees that that is this thing, yeah that, that could suggest that there's more in that, so
0: yeah and if you I guess it would be interesting to look cross-culturally as well because obviously like yeah. in, the, in like say in the UK like um at least I was I don't know about everyone else but like I was brought up on like Disney villains and like heroes or whatever like the villain would always be like a greeny like red co- or like dark colors you know so you would have an idea of like what that looks like in your head before you think okay what do I s- associate but maybe if you looked at a culture that had a completely different idea of like you know colors and like good and bad or whatever like imagery was used then that would be really interesting to see if there were consistencies there as
1: well yeah and like you said with the ballet costumes that could be like white or pink but then mm. a professional dancer in Bollywood would be a completely yeah. different color palette you know yeah. so there. yeah I'll have to start talking to more people internationally about that um yeah I'm gonna look at phonetics as well um we've got a big project called the phonetics of swearing that I'm working on oh. <laughs> The theory is, um they're like some words are considered more naughty because they're more aggressive phonetically, but I need to cross-reference that across different languages and things. Ah, that's um, cool. But yeah, that's to really see cool. what, um, yeah, you've got to get that sort of cultural bias out of the way. Um, again, like colors. So yeah, in China, red is considered like a very lucky color. It's a good one mm. over here, danger. So, mm. but then also there's only so many colors. So if someone says, oh, red means this to me, like, well, it does, <laughs> or if yeah. it, well, that's blue. Well, like you're allowed to choose blue for that, you know?
0: That's interesting. Yeah, wow. That's an interesting word project. Because I think words do have like their own, definitely have their own like resonance to them and yeah, the implications of like the way a word sounds or the way you like feel it in your mouth as you say it, that kind of thing.
1: I think um was it Nicolas Cage or someone did like a documentary series on Netflix about swearing. So oh. kind of wanna watch it, but then it might be like, Oh, they've already done it now. I don't need yeah, to yeah. do mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just nailed it. Hypothesis, yeah, proved. I need to... <sighs> I'm sure yeah. there's
0: there's always more to say in these things, always.
1: Yeah, but, um, yeah, so that'd be a long-term goal, just try and get rid of those cultural biases and then see if there is that universal truth. Yeah. Universal yeah. truth, that's what we all want, isn't it? <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it shouldn't be too hard to find, just a bit of universal truth.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, lifetime. I'm, I'll know, be there. Next week. 78, like, I finally did it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Job well done.
1: Yeah. Cool, yeah. Well, uh, great to talk to you. And oh, um, this will be up uh, in a few weeks. I'm going to try and get one out every Tuesday. Uh, it's been a bit inconsistent recently, but um, stack them up and then like keep it going. Yeah.
0: So, Sounds good. And um, yeah, I'll definitely like repost. I'm mostly on Instagram and LinkedIn and TikTok. So I can repost if you're anywhere on there. Cool. And
1: then,
0: nice yeah. Like, let's definitely stay in touch, like in the group and elsewhere. And if you ever want to,
1: yeah and if you've got any other ideas for things or any project you want to come back and we'll uh, talk about that if you've got any ideas of things like oh actually I didn't realize but like this is connected to this you know
0: yeah and if I come across any um interesting people with extraordinary um associations I'll definitely send them your way that
1: would be crazy yeah because it's not like I don't want it to be like kind of freak show like oh wow like you do this uh... but then it's kind of fascinating that people live their lives in those perceptions and most people if you ask them if you could turn it off would you like like
0: yeah
1: but even the taste ones where people like hear words and they taste things which can be quite distracting
0: mm. yeah uh, that's interesting actually because I am um, I completely lost my sense of taste as well with coronavirus like back in December and it's really only just coming back now like fully really? yeah it was quite bad actually I think it's technically classed as like long COVID even though I didn't have any other COVID symptoms, like nothing like respiratory, completely felt fine. Just like 100 percent lost my taste and smell, and so I wondered, like, if you had synesthesia, maybe that would be like a really like tough experience because it would take away like a really fundamental component of your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, I lost my smell for about a week. Really? Um, I was quite ill with flu symptoms otherwise, but because my synesthesia is color-based and hearing and right, so, yeah. perceptual things didn't get affected at all.
0: Yeah. It is interesting, though, because, you know, they say, like, the taste and smell thing is, like, actually neurological damage, like brain damage. So I guess if it, um, with, like, synesthesia, if it hit that part of your brain that has your connections or that makes the connection, I don't really know how it works. But so if you had, like, damage in that area, then maybe you could use or even heighten, maybe, your awareness. Yeah, it'd
1: be a bit annoying if you had your private superpower just dulled by (laughs) global virus. (laughs) sorry about
0: that. Yeah, instead of getting like a flu, you just lost your, that'd
1: be so annoying. Yeah. (laughs) Lost your creative edge, yeah. No, no,
0: hopefully not. Hopefully it didn't happen to anyone.
1: Cool, excellent, yeah. So this, I'll let you know when it's up. And um, if there's anything uh, you think of afterwards, like actually, can we just cut that bit out? Um, Let me know. And uh, otherwise we'll just, minimal editing, um, just uh, keep it going. And that'll be it.
0: Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me.
1: All right. Nice one. Yep. Pleasure. Yeah, it was
0: really nice to meet you and have a good weekend. Likewise. See you. Bye.